Welcome, friends, back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and I'm joined today by Nate Hayes, our USA correspondent at Emerging Cricket, because both Tim and Daniel Beswick, well, they're both uh, kind of unreachable at the moment in Vanuatu, getting ready for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup East Asia Pacific Qualifier Group A tournament, which is going to be played in Port Vila very soon. Bez is over there uh, as a commentator, and Tim, of course, CEO of Vanuatu Cricket is very busy organising the tournament. But before we start talking about that, Nate Hayes, you've had a fun weekend. Uh, how, how have you been? Been doing pretty good. Um, we had our Labor Day celebration here in the USA and particularly in Maryland where I'm from. There's a big uh, skipjack race down in the south part of Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. A skipjack is the last work boat under sail in the USA and it's local to where I'm from, so we go out on the boat sometimes and watch that race every year. It's just, it's funny because it's maybe one of the only races you can watch where you actually can make circles around the contestants in the race and, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> get to where they're going way before they do. But yeah, it's work boats racing uh, via sail, uh, and it's pretty awesome. Yes, and uh, I saw you consumed a colossal amount of crabs, uh, which I'm sure was delicious as well. Meanwhile, I'm uh, I'm stuck here uh, in a very isolated rock on the North Atlantic, uh, but uh, I can't complain. Um, we'll get into the cricket, though, and the aforementioned tournament in Vanuatu, the sub-regional A qualifier. It's part of the qualification pathway for the 2024 World Cup, and Vanuatu is hosting matches from the 9th of September to the 15th of September. It's a double-round robin tournament involving the hosts as well as Samoa, Fiji, and the Cook Islands. Now, you would think Vanuatu, based on kind of the, the relative strengths of their team, you would imagine they're the strong favourites uh, in this tournament. But of course, they they did struggle a bit uh, at the last sub-regional, which was played way back in 2018 before uh, pandemic and, and various cancellations. So it's it's kind of a bit hard to get a, 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 an accurate gauge of who's in form and, and you know which teams are going to be doing well because the last time we saw them all play was in the sub-regionals yeah almost four years ago there were uh the pacific games in 2019 but again yeah that's that's more than three years ago now so uh it'll be interesting to see how everyone goes but i'm tipping vanuatu to be pretty strong favorites um what are your thoughts on this nate yeah i think you have to favor them at at home uh, the competition you know is up and coming emerging so uh, so you can say but I think uh, Fiji, as you have said before, I think Fiji might give them a good run. But yeah, I think we'll see. Vanuatu wants to really come back hard after they struggled so much in the in the Challenge League, and their roster looks looks pretty good for this tournament. We, t- we I talked to you a little bit earlier about Jared Allen, the bit of an older player on the team. His kind of approach to batting, you know, should translate really well to this, if you ask me. Obviously, a lot of young players who have probably more talent hopefully can contribute and take on that type of aggression yeah Vanuatu in that challenge league uh, series in Canada one of their weaknesses was the fact that they always kind of looked like they were in t20 mindset you know they, they would either sort of block single or six was kind of what they were going for a lot of the time and and that's fine if you're playing t20 cricket but it didn't quite work um work as well in, in 50 over cricket and, and jared allen who you mentioned has played a lot of cricket um sort of grade cricket back in the day when he was living in victoria yeah he also played some australian rules football at a kind of semi-pro level so he's he's just an all-around sportsman and, and he has a a great competitive spirit uh which was very helpful but also 
a good knowledge of his own game and, and of his own kind of strengths and limitations. And, and that kind of savvy that he has is something that was a bit lacking from some of the younger, I would say, more talented batters that, that Vanuatu have. Um, one boost for, for Vanuatu is the fact that their captain, Patrick Matautava, is going to be back playing for them. Um, this is after a, a visa ordeal trying to get into Canada and, and uh, the Canadian embassy in Denmark and then in London, uh, having various problems with processing his, his applications in time. And, and um, yeah, he never made it to that tournament, but he has flown home to Vanuatu. Uh, some more drama on the way uh, with uh, various, you know, rules around testing and, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. But he he, he is home. Um, so, so that's good. And, you know, his experience as well as his obviously his power hitting which he's known for uh, and and his very crafty seam bowling I think will be uh, you know you could tell a lot of the time in Canada that that Vanuatu were really missing you know that that extra bowler and and obviously Matteo Tava's kind of energy with the bat interesting to see uh, Tim tweeted out uh, about Womajo Wotu a uh, a bolter I guess you'd call him from the recent uh, splash national youth tournament that they held in, in Vanuatu. So good to see some talent coming through the, the youth pathways. Um, so one to keep an eye on. Junior Kaltapau, another one of those Vanuatu young guns. He was the one who impressed me most with the bat in um, in Canada. He he just looks a really classy batter. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes in the, in the T20 format. Young spinner uh, Raval Sampson is another to, to watch out for. He he played a couple of games and was you know he showed a bit. He he's obviously very raw, but he 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 was um he he bowls his kind of fast, quite bouncy leg spinner, almost almost a bit of a Anil Kumble kind of vibe to to some of his deliveries. Um and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he plays in in T20 cricket where that kind of spin bowling is is often at a premium in in terms of uh, keeping the economy rate down and um of course the hybrid pitch in port vila is another one to to keep an eye on i'm i'm really excited to see the action on the hybrid pitch actually actually i think mm. the hybrid pitch we've talked about it a lot on this show you guys have talked about it a lot and i've harped on about it locally here the hybrid pitch is an excellent solution I think to emerging cricket, uh, you know, you want to have a good wicket. You want to have a natural turf wicket. That's not always necessary, honestly. And it's, it's obviously not practical. It's very, very expensive. And that hybrid wicket is a great middle ground. It's, it's much less expensive, uh, much easier to maintain. And they're using it now in minor league cricket here in the USA. It's the original goal here was to try to get every team to have a turf wicket, but that is absolutely unnecessary and really hard to do. (laughs) Very expensive. So, I'm stoked to see a big tournament like this take place on on the hybrid wicket. Uh, we we get exactly the same hybrid wicket here uh, as Vanuatu as Tim gets uh, from the Gaba Company. So that's really an exciting aspect of this to me. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because it all got put in place uh, a little bit before the pandemic started, and so this is kind of the the first big uh, tournament that Vanuatu has been able to host since um you know <laughs> since the world got turned upside down by by COVID. Right, and, and... we got to see we got to see some action there. In 2020, when they were the only yeah, people yeah, with yeah, Vanuatu, was the only people playing cricket in the in the world, pretty much. Yeah, that was a fun tournament. Um, a couple of the guys in the team mentioned uh, some some fond memories from playing through that, and how it was kind of a bit weird to be the you know the focus of the cricketing world for a couple of weeks um, with the the blast that they they ran there. But um, yeah, cr- well, I mean, cricket in the Pacific especially has been more affected by the pandemic than a lot of other areas. So there's, as I was saying earlier, there's not a whole lot of you know on-field form to go on aside Vanuatu. Uh, outing in Canada, but interesting just to see 
Sean Salia from the Samoan team. Uh, he was down as the captain, but he's been yanked from the side to uh, <laughs> to go play for New Zealand A in India. He was the joint leading wicket taker in the tournament back in the 2018 sub-regional, so you would suspect they, uh, they'll they miss his experience. He, he's also played uh, a fair bit of domestic cricket in New Zealand. Another uh, New Zealand veteran is uh, is James Baker, who takes over as skipper, uh, right-arm seamer with about a decade of experience um, Yeah, over in, over in New Zealand. Um, Dom Michael... Probably the key player with the bat. He was the leading run scorer for them in, in 2018 in that sub-regional, although he hasn't played um, as much cricket, as far as I can tell, since the Pacific Games in 2019. So um, that's another one to keep an eye on. And unfortunately, uh, Afisa Tonu, a former All Black, um, who played at the Pacific Games in 2019, is uh, not going to be making a return to the side now that he's 52 years of age. Um, it seems like uh, 49 was okay, but uh, now that he's re- he's reached half century, he he might be a bit past it. But um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see again how um Fiji go because we haven't really seen much from them recently or basically since <laughs> since 2018, and they're one of those teams that's always kind of there or thereabouts, but they they've never really taken the next step. Although you know, as as I kind of mentioned earlier, both Samoa and Fiji beat Vanuatu in the 2018 sub regionals, um, and and Vanuatu got through to the regional final on on net run rate um so both these teams have beaten Vanuatu so the the opportunity is there Cook Islands you know you feel would be a, a bit too weak um they haven't really been on the field much at all recently they um I believe they haven't played any official T20Is as in they so they haven't played any uh, any international cricket basically since the ICC granted status a, a few years back and they were slated to appear at the 2019 Pacific Games but they uh, opted n- not to go to that tournament in order to sort of try and reinforce their um, the domestic cricket and, and get get that scene kind of more viable. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. I, I you know you feel with a you know one of these these small island nations. I mean they're all small island nations, but Cook Island is another story entirely with you know under twenty thousand people. So yeah, I mean you you think they'll probably struggle, but you never know. They've put a lot of effort into you know assembling this team, um, and they have a number of guys who are sort of based in New Zealand and and have some decent club experience there. So yeah, one to keep an eye on, of course. Roll yeah, their, their vice captain Morave. He has played recently with uh with Central Districts in the Super Smash this past year. So. You know, every one of these teams has a little bit of star power that I think in a T20, you never know in T20. You know, sometimes it takes a supreme effort by one or two people to to win a game in T20. We saw that with Kenya taking Nepal right up to the fifth game of their T20 series, losing three games to two. But, but, I mean, you could see any of these teams beating any of the others. Now, it's great that it's a double round-robin tournament because – hopefully the best team comes up up ahead in that situation but it also gives some of the players like you mentioned Dom Michael gives him a chance you you said you haven't seen him much of him lately but he does have a great a great background does give players like that six games to get hot you know so that's a good point you could have uh you could anything could happen in this tournament looks very exciting to me And, and on the on the uh hybrid wicket I think it's gonna it's gonna benefit the more experienced players 
Yeah, and, and I guess as a final point, just a shout out to Jamal Vera, who, um, according to Tim, has uh, he, he stepped back from the team in this tournament um, in order to kind of support more on the logistical side as, as tournament director, um, which, uh, you know, that's a, a great uh, kind of act of self-sacrifice from an active player to, to do that. And, and Jamal's currently studying a law degree, so he's, you know, he's a smart guy and he uh, uh, obviously is going to be very helpful in that capacity. Um, just reiterating, the tournament will be running from the 9th to the 15th of September, hosted in Port Vila. Uh, all matches starting at 9.30 and 1.30 uh, local time. Um, so check your uh, international clock calculator devices to work out when uh, when to tune in on icc.tv. And uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how the local crowds embrace this. It, it's the kind of tournament that will hopefully generate a bit of interest uh, back home in Vanuatu because it is their, their, their brother nations, you know, the, the Pacific Islands and, and that kind of Pacific family is something that they take quite seriously there. So um, yeah, should be an exciting tournament. Speaking of the, you know, checking your time zone calculator, since you've moved to Iceland, I'm just curious, since you moved to Iceland, how has that affected your ability to watch cricket? Has it helped it out a little bit? Has it hurt it an awful lot? I mean, I guess it depends on where you're trying to watch it, but you know, we like to watch the associates. So how has that affected you with the emerging nations? <laughs> well, it's actually, I mean, as most of the time in Australia, we're really far out of um, a lot of the associate stuff, which happens uh, either in, in the Middle East or Europe, sometimes in North America. So I've, I've actually found it, the time zones line up a bit better. There were, I saw some of the uh, the Kenya versus Nepal series that we can we can talk about in a bit later. And the tri-series in Namibia as well was at a, a bit more of a civilized hour. Um, compared to when it usually uh, is playing when I'm in Australia. So, yeah, it's actually been kind of good, funnily enough, moving here to, to watching cricket, um, although the Vanuatu time zones are going to be punishing. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's about 4 a.m. there right now, and it's 2.45 in the afternoon here, and there where you're at, it's 6.45. So, yeah, it's a little bit opposite for you. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, this is a bit of a break for Bez, you know. Um, normally, it's logistically quite difficult for us to get out um, to these tournaments and, and for Bez to be doing his commentating. But uh, luckily, it's uh, just a short plane trip from Australia and I was uh, I was not there. But uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Tim and Bez are having a great time in the sunny Pacific Islands. But uh, moving on to... Another qualification tournament that uh, that has been running as we go to air, the Under-19s Africa Women's Qualifier, of course, qualification for the 2023 Under-19s Women's T20 World Cup. And this is the final qualification tournament that's being held after... Uh, East Asia Pacific, Europe, Asia, and the Americas. Although the Americas didn't have a qualification tournament, um, with the uh, <laughs> with the USA being uh, awarded the the slot by default because Canada. Um, we don't need to have another Canada rant from me, but uh, basically because Canada's cricket scene uh, on the women's side is just not up to scratch. Um, yeah, so this is the biggest of the regional qualification tournaments with nine teams split into two groups. There's Botswana who are hosting, uh, with the tournament being played in Gaborone, the capital, and they're joined by Malawi, Mozambique, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, and Uganda. And Uganda seem to have got off to a flying start. They've won their first three matches, uh, including a pretty tight game against Namibia, but they got over the line. And it, it's just, you know, Uganda have been on the up and up in the women's side of things. They've been making really good progress and, and have put together a pretty good team. And, and part of the strength of this under-19s team is that they have so much experience at the senior level. And same goes for a few of the other teams here. Um, you know, Rwanda with the Ashimwe sisters, uh, who've been the engine room of their batting. Uh, Namibia with a number of women who've, who've played in the 
senior ranks as well. Tanzania as well, stepping up to dominate uh, on the other side of the draw with three early wins. So I, I think, you know, just having that intensity already, you know, under your belt as, as a player has certainly helped these teams when they do come to play what is a new, it's not a new format in the sense that they've all played a lot of T20 cricket. But the under-19s women's pathway is a new structure from the ICC. So, you know, they're coming to this with a lot of experience. And, and it's it's providing the pathway with a lot of integrity, you know, having all these teams who are so strong. It, and it's it's making for a great tournament. And we've, we've talked about it a bit. It's, you know, arguably a bit unfair that Africa only has one qualifier and, you know, <laughs> America's has one qualifier, you know, with one team. But, you know, it's been a good tournament so far. And I think Uganda and Tanzania are probably the ones to beat. And Namibia might make a return effort against one of them in the semi-final but uh yeah uganda and tanzania who've been so strong in women's cricket at the senior level look like they've got a, a lot of talent coming through at the youth level as well yeah and we've seen with the fair break invitational uh we've seen a, a lot of african players on display we know the talent's really good there and it's it's a shame that they have to fight through such a tough field to to make it to the next stage when you know usa kind of just walks right through easily because nobody else in the region is doing a good job with their U19 women's program. And uh, so it's it's great to see all these teams, uh, so many good teams, so many teams in Africa prioritizing to some degree their women's cricket and, and participating in the women's U19. This is this is an awful lot of women's U19 teams when you think about it, just in in this one qualifier. And they're, they seem to be very good teams too. So it would, it would be nice to have, you know, you want to support women's cricket. So you want to highlight where women's cricket is working out well. And we know that countries like Rwanda are going to put a lot into their sports programs. Rwanda is pretty famous for doing that, including women. That's a, that's a really big message that I think ICC should support by maybe opening up other slots for continents that do a good job collectively at this sort of thing, letting more of them get through to the next round. Or even, yeah, one of the other points, of course, that we've made in the past is that you could kind of resolve this issue by having an expanded qualifier that includes all the full members. And that way you could have a few different tournaments and, and a bit more of a pathway rather than just having one kind of dog-eat-dog, winner-takes-all qualifier. But, you know, that's probably a bit further down the line. The other thing that the ICC used to do was that they ran youth tournaments, regional youth tournaments, um, which don't really seem to be happening a whole lot these days. Uh, we know that a lot of their kind of underage pathways got cancelled throughout various budget cuts as, uh, you know, <laughs> certain full members uh, redirected a lot of the ICC's development budget into their own pockets. We don't need to talk about that today. Um, I'm sure it will come up a number of times uh, in the future again as well. But yeah, so if the ICC wanted, you know, slash had the capacity to, you know, underage youth tournaments is another area that I think they should look into because I think in the past they were mostly boys tournaments uh, rather than girls tournaments. So if, if they want to uh, get back into it. I mean, I'd almost make the case that starting those kind of programs with the girls' cricket rather than the men's cricket would be a better way of doing it because, as you say, you know, in a lot of these countries, the women's program is the one that's um, kind of making more progress. And you know, African women's cricket is one of the great uh, success stories. You know, I would say for, for the ICC in terms of development and and improving standards. So. 
you know, if you're the ICC looking to make your product, the ICC's product is international cricket. Africa is one of the areas where there's a lot of these um, <laughs> these inbuilt rivalries. You know, you can scroll through the Twitter accounts of, you know, Uganda or, or whoever and see a lot of uh, good-natured banter with various other countries. And, and so they have these rivalries. They have these inbuilt fan followings. They have a lot of enthusiasm. So I think this is a great development and potentially commercial opportunity uh, for the ICC that um, they do well to embrace. I agree with you. I think that this is the way to do it. Like, you know, treat it all in some ways like an experiment you know like uh in baseball here i always go back to that sort of thing but major league baseball uses they they make deals with minor league baseball leagues to try out new rules to try out new all kinds of new things that they want to see what they look like over x number of games so that they can then put them you know if the icc said hey look we got a lot uh, you know we have more women in this continent in this format uh than we do men or or whatever or this is where this is working let's try this out let's you know let's look at this hey maybe we'll do an expanded world cup for women's u19 and see how it goes and if it goes well we'll apply it to men's u19 and if that goes well we'll apply it to you know that sort of thing that's a great way to think about it especially because it's all on the ground floor most most women's cricket is on the ground floor it's if you put a lot into women's cricket now you're going to see the benefits of it much much faster than you will if you put things into men's cricket because there's well there's a lot of room for for growth first of all but there's a lot of teams that have a lot of room for growth and we've seen that in the usa over the last couple of years just how much better women's cricket has gotten in the USA in, in two years just by, you know, a little bit more than the minimal effort put into it. So I think that that would apply across the board for women's cricket, you you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of these teams, um, I mean, Tim's not here, so I'll kind of play Tim for a second here and, and talk about how, you know, in Vanuatu, the women's team is a, a key component of their overall development strategy, both in terms of social outreach with, with some of their women's health programs, but also, you know, the women's team trains with the men's team. They're encouraged to sort of view them themselves as a single unit and you know, I know certainly in Uganda um, there, there's a lot of cross-pollination between the men's and the women's as well and, and viewing cricket's development as as a single project rather than you know men's cricket and women's cricket being separate spheres of influence or whatever viewing them as as two sides of the same coin and you know they're all working towards the same goal which is you know growing the game in their country and getting as many kids as possible to pick up a bat and ball and, and start playing cricket and the Namibian women's team is actually another example of this with you know a lot of their various outreach programs the road trips and road shows that they were doing the women's team featured prominently in in, in a lot of their outreach and and it's um you know it's it's paid dividends for them as well with a number of uh talented girls coming through just bringing up Mikalaye Mwatile uh who's looks like a good find for them at this tournament um playing at the top of the order you know if Mwatile can kind of come through and fit uh, into that opening slot which has been a huge problem for them uh over the last few years I think the fact that they are getting talent coming through their outreach efforts both on the men's side and women's side is proof that they are part of a single whole and I mean that's kind of it shouldn't be revolutionary because you know you look at any society women and men roughly half of each society you know that's just pretty basic stuff but in some ways it is revolutionary when you look at the way that administrators have viewed the game for so long it's really silly because people one woman is one person so <laughs> you want more <laughs> you want more people to watch your sports you want more people to be involved in cricket you want more fans ultimately you want more fans and so it's really really smart to try to to get female fans to try to get women cricket fans and you get them by having women play cricket and and, and you know I'm, i don't know too many women who say 
ah, I can't watch the men's game. Uh, I just can't watch it. But unfortunately, I do know some men that say, oh, I can't watch the women's game. Mm. So you get women fans in there. You're going to have fans of cricket. You're going to have fans uh, who are much probably going to be better cricket fans than men are, to be honest, because they'll watch women's cricket. There's a lot to like about women's cricket. There's tons to like about women's cricket. So they'll watch women's cricket and they'll watch men's cricket. So it's much smarter probably to pursue women as fans of cricket than it is to pursue men as fans of cricket. So it makes tons of sense to focus on women, to invest in women. And a lot of these countries are willing to put public dollars towards women, including the USA. It's probably easier in most cities in the USA to convince a town to to give you access to a public ground if it's for a women and children than it is if it's for men. It's definitely easier to do. So this is something, this is smart investment. It's smart to, it's smart to focus on women's cricket. It's, it's a really smart thing. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that point up and, and you kind of alluded to Rwanda and I know that part of their development plans often do involve a lot of, uh, a lot of women's equality and, and you know, getting more women into various kind of roles within both government and the private sector. Um, and that's kind of a, a national strategy. So yeah, again, Rwanda is is kind of a good a good example of this, and and something that the ICC should certainly be looking into partnering with on on that side of things with women's cricket. And yeah, as we said, the Shimwe sisters are, are kind of lighting up the tournament for for Rwanda as well. And you know, so this is the the thing that um we we always talk about, and this is one of Tim's I, I guess talking points is is you know creating stars and creating heroes out of local players, and and you know. It, 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 getting kids back home you know a young girl in rwanda sees henriette and giselle uh smashing fours and sixes and and wants to start playing cricket and and that's you know it's it's, it's as basic as that and right right there's yeah as you keep saying you know, there's so much potential here and and just looking at this tournament this tournament is proof positive of what could be done with just a little bit more investment and the fact that it is shaping up to be such a, an exciting tournament and even thinking back to the senior women's qualifier last year which was another really exciting tournament and um there were number of competitive teams and the Kwabuka as well. There's a lot of good cricket happening in Africa and, and it's just sitting there waiting to be tapped into by the ICC and, and, and by the local boards. Right. And if you, USA is a great example. Two years ago, we didn't know how many women in the USA were even playing cricket. We had, we had no idea. And then they put in the pathway program, which was a really well-designed tournament where you, you had regional games and then you took the best players from the regional games. And then you had a national championship with the best players from the, it wasn't the best team you know that advanced through it was you just repick the teams every round so that you got the very yeah, best that was players clever. yeah it's it's a great it was a great idea awesome concept because of that concept we now have a women's team and a women's u19 team we know how far we have to go you know to get into things like maybe potentially ncaa one day probably 10 years down the road but we we know how far we have to go to get more women involved in the game. And now, because of that, we are also beating West Indies U19 team in a best of five T20 series, four games to one. And this is mm. USA beating West Indies women's U19. You know, this is a associate member beating a full member. This is a big deal. So if these African nations can look at that and say, well, we can just put a couple of years of focus into this program, we can actually have, you know, we can have a women's team that, that, that makes a mark. Now that if all of them do it at the same time, there's still only one team getting through <laughs> the Africa. So, you know, we need <laughs> there needs to be more inclusion of teams, regardless of where they're from at the higher level, at the World Cup level. So you don't want to have teams stymied by a strict uh, World Cup pathway tournament. 
Yeah, and I mean that's that kind of raises uh, the next topic that that I was going to talk about, Nate, which is basically that the U.S. well, men's and women's side of things have been having a real moment. Obviously, the minor leagues just wrapped up for another year. You were very involved in that, but just on the women's side, uh, we saw Gatika Kadali take a hat trick in the uh, women's CPL, uh, the the kind of curtain raiser, um, the the sixty, the so-called uh, basically T uh, ten, but with it. Um, but also, you know, a whole lot's been going on. As you referenced there, the 4-1 series victory over the um, the West Indies under 19. So there's been a lot going on in in the USA in terms of cricket, and a lot of it for a change has been positive. Yeah, that's true. I think I think there's been a lot of positive things, as you said. Minor league just wrapped up. I I did a chat with uh, Ian O'Brien. 90 minutes long on YouTube if if anybody wants to watch that for on the Emerging uh, Cricket YouTube where we talked about the finals weekend but yeah that was a big success a huge step in the right direction everything was it was a great last year this year was even better the women's same thing women's pathway was great last year this year they took an even bigger step in a lot of ways the one thing that's kind of disappointing to me and this is a difficult thing to discuss because on one hand it's it's kind of optimistic on the other hand it's kind of a cop out. Uh, 13 teenagers were selected out of the 15 person squad for the women's World Cup qualifier. And that's 13 teenagers. But what about the women who have earned the right to be on the women's team who, you know, basically this is just being used as kind of a shortcut to prepare the women's U19 team. It's like they're go- they're putting all their eggs in the U19 women's basket to prepare them for the women's U19 World Cup in January. So they're using the women's World Cup as kind of a prep for that. So yeah, while it's good to invest in the future, it's it's one thing we've always asked, asked for. Why don't you put some teenagers in the team? You, you've heard Peter and myself talk about that. And then over the last year, <laughs> over the last year, year and a half, they have, they have done just that. But now it looks like, well, wait a second. They've kind of just, it, this is kind of like, imagine the men's team doing this just for a minute. Well, it would have been a disaster. But imagine two years ago or a year and a half ago, if USA said, well, our men's team doesn't really have a chance to make it to the World Cup as, as well as the U19 men's team does. So we're going to just load up the men's team with U19 players and during the the men's World Cup qualifier and that'll give them really if they can you know perform good there then they they can certainly make their way to the U19 World Cup. Well, what ended up happening was obviously they didn't even have the U19 qualifiers because of COVID and uh Canada got put through anyways. But what I'm saying is the men's side of this would ne- this would never happen. They would do both things. They would prepare the U19 men's team and they would prepare the men's team. So this kind of looks to me a little bit like a, a cop out that the USA has said, well, we don't want to we, we don't really want to put resources into preparing both a women's team and a women's U19 team. And this might be a little bit more insight into why they decided to that they needed a they needed to make their women's and the women's U19 coach the same person instead of have a separate coach for both because they're essentially just coaching one team now you know the women's team right now is the women's u19 team i don't think that that's a good way to motivate women to to continue playing cricket after after they get through the the u19 age group obviously i don't think this is going to continue i don't think this will happen all the time but you've just told some adult women some women over the age of 19 that well yeah we know it's your dream to play for usa you've earned the right to do that but we're not going to we're not taking you to the world cup we're only going to take the u19 players instead so that we can prep them for the women's u19 world cup in which we have an actual chance of winning something 
So I think that that's that's just a cop out. You would never see them do that to the men's side. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, because just to take a step back, the Women's T20 World Cup qualifier, the global qualifier, uh, is being held on the 18th to the 25th of September, and it features Bangladesh, Ireland, Papua New Guinea, Scotland, Thailand, United Arab Emirates, United States, and Zimbabwe. Um, And that's the women's team, the senior women's teams um, of, of all those countries. But the USA are in a group with Ireland, Scotland, and Bangladesh, and you know, Bangladesh, you would suspect, would be uh, kind of nailed on to take that uh, that top spot in the group. But then behind them, it's pretty open. And if the USA play a strong senior team, they're half a chance of, of causing an upset and sneaking into the semifinals. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... <laughs> Interesting little choice, although kind of on the other side of things, we've seen the senior women's team, you know, struggle over the years. And a lot of the time, you know, it it is the older players uh, who are the ones who perform the least. So, uh, you know, how much are you really losing by, you know, following this strategy? I can see see why you think it's a bit cynical, but at the same time, I I don't necessarily think that a so-called full-strength USA women's team would be that much better than, than what they're putting out already. I think I think there are three or four probably from the women's setup who would have really helped this team out a lot. Shabani Busker being one of them would have really helped this team yeah. out a ton. But um, that's just the cynical side of it, as you said. Obviously, it's nice for the younger players to get all that extra experience. You know, Gitika Kodali is the vice captain of the women's team, and she's the captain of the unit team team. She's the one who took the first hat trick there in the 60 tournament, which was great. That was excellent. She's right here in North Carolina. She moved here um, a couple years back to to be a part of this community, which is a really excellent cricket community. And, you know, it's paid off for her quite a bit. But that's, you know, she's she's a great young player. She's she's a very fair player, too. very good captain. I talked to Shiv Chandrapol about her, Shiv being coach of the women's team. I talked to him about her, and he talks about how selfless she is, how much she makes sure all the players are know that they're an important part of the team. So it's nice to see her go out and, and have such a big performance. Uh, at the same time, that 60, I would have almost rather seen a longer women's CPL season than a very short 60, you know, three-game 60 and a short three-game women's CPL. But it was great to have three USA cricketers involved in in that, you know, regardless. Yeah, and, and Kadali bowled quite well in the um, full women's CPL, although, yeah, at this stage, only three uh, women's CPL teams in the tournament. But yeah, I mean, if that can become a feasible ball pathway, we've seen a lot of uh, Caribbean players come and play in minor league cricket. Um, if, you know, maybe a bit down the line, if there's a thriving women's CPL, um, that could be a, a pretty good pathway for female cricketers in the US to, to earn a living in the Caribbean and kind of going the other way. Agree, but it's going to have to be a little longer than, than that. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's great to see there's only three teams involved and there's three USA players involved. So that's excellent. Obviously, we have more fair break to come. They're going to the fair break's going to kind of become a twice a year tournament and we'll hope to see a lot of USA players continue to be involved in the fair break. But yeah, franchise cricket is becoming a, a reality for for women and it's becoming an option for them to keep them in the in the game and that's an excellent thing. Yeah, so yeah, with the men's team, they're on tour now in PNG with Namibia. Kyle Phillip was included in that. A f- tall, fast bowler, about six foot seven, six foot eight. Uh, he had a pretty good season with Atlanta Lightning in the minor league cricket tournament. They're in the South Division along with the team. So I got to see plenty of Kyle. Rahul Jarawala back in the team for them. Obviously, Ali Khan still injured, but he's recovering. And you see videos of him working his arm out. 
in the gym and stuff. So I don't think it'll be long before Ali Khan's back on the scene. But uh, but yeah, af- coming out of the minor league tournament, Aaron Jones had a great finals weekend. He scored tons of runs in the um, conference final and then led the was the highest scorer in the league final as well. Um, his team just did lose to Seattle. Seattle's got a loaded roster, very good players. If you want to see kind of the best of what Major League Cricket has to offer as far as like the Major League Cricket contracted players, Seattle's one of those teams to look at. They have three Major League contracted players on that team and a very, very good team. They bowl the same five guys every game top bowling team in the league so yeah check that out those games are on youtube still on the major league cricket network if you'd like to get a sample of uh of that league that finals weekend was very exciting a lot of usa players jesse singh was involved on he's he is now in this team uh on the men's png tour as well so yeah just give that a sh- sh- shout and rahul jarawala was involved in this finals weekend sarab natravalkar simon kamala steven taylor you know Anyways, the minor league cricket has done a good thing for for T20 cricket in the USA, and we'll see how it goes with the with this tour in uh, Namibia for ODI cricket. Yeah, plenty of good pictures and, and videos coming out of uh, you know that Morrisville Morrisville at night. You know, it just looks great. Um, I know the Raptors unfortunately weren't involved in the in the actual finals, but uh, yeah, fantastic location as I can personally attest to, and a good spot for a, a bit of a sneaky bri with with Dane Pete on the on the grill. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, just just reiterating that uh, that PNG tri series from uh, Cricket World Cup League Two, uh, with obviously PNG hosting their first cricket in uh, a number of years, and USA joined by Namibia. That runs from the 11th to the 21st of September and that will of course be uh, on icc.tv as well so lots of exciting associate cricket coming up uh, in the next little while Uh, one brief mention uh, just skipping back to women's cricket uh, Scotland is hosting Ireland for a three-match T20 series. Uh, Ireland are 2-0 up. They won the first match by eight wickets, uh, cruising to a chase of 137 uh, in the 17th over, and they were, I guess, the beneficiaries of the DLS method um, in the second, uh, chasing 127 for victory. They'd reached 44 for one wicket after five overs, uh, all of Prendergast scoring the runs for Ireland in both of those matches. Uh, Saskia Hawley making her debut for Scotland. Uh, She's had some experience uh, in Australia. She's uh, born and raised uh, Australian, but um, obviously with Scottish heritage. So that's an interesting... addition to the Scottish team that, that seems to have improved the, the strength of the of the side. Um, Sarah Bryce, captain for Scotland with uh, with her sister Catherine out. So a bit for Scotland to think about. You know, you, you would have hoped them to maybe nab one of the games there, but, uh, uh, you know, Ireland looking to be in pretty good form. And we should probably pay tribute to Craig Williams, the Namibian cricketer, um, all-rounder. He's been a great servant of Namibian cricket over the last uh, sort of 15-plus years of his career. He announced his retirement uh, during the ongoing uh, Namibian Tri-Series, uh, which features the uh, Lahore Calendars and the South African Lions franchise team. They, well, they, originally it was meant to be four teams uh, with a Bengal state side from India, but that was blocked by the BCCI, um, which is unfortunate. But otherwise, the series ran uh, ran pretty well uh, over in Vintuk. The Lions won the series, beating the Calendars in the final. The Eagles, uh, Namibia... Uh, only won a single match out of their four games, um, but they were 
sort of tinkering with their side. So kind of an experimental series. Uh, some good performances from the usual suspects, Erasmus, Jan Nikolov de Eaton, Ruben Trumpelman and, and Jan Freilink both slogged uh, pretty effectively in a couple of games. Uh, they're bowling a bit more of a concern, although it was interesting to see JJ Smith uh, back rolling the arm over. Um, and Jan Nikolov de Eaton, as well as with the bat, was bowling quite well with his leg spin. Um, he's, uh, I keep saying it, but he's he's one of the most exciting cricketers um, coming around in, in associate cricket at the moment. You know, bats, bowls, can wicket keep uh, if necessary. He, he'd be a great uh, utility pickup for any franchise side, I think. And the calendars from Lahore are sticking around for a three-match 50-over uh, series against Namibia. Um, so again, a good initiative this series um, that, that they've organised. Namibia beat the calendars in their first 50-over match, um, so that's some good good preparation for their tri-series coming up in PNG. But yeah, Craig Williams has been just a great player for Namibia, um, an all-rounder. Um, he's he's reinvented himself a couple of times. He's the kind of guy, he, he just always steps up when there's, you know, he hasn't bowled that much recently, but, you know, he was always willing to take the ball, you know, when they needed to break a partnership or, or if some of the other bowls were getting tired. And obviously he could, he'd, he'd batted anywhere in that batting lineup. He played as an opener, as an aggressive finisher, as a sort of more of a middle-order stabiliser. Um, he's played first-class cricket, 50-over cricket, T20 cricket. Um, he's just an extremely versatile player, and, and he's definitely um, they'll definitely miss his experience in that team. It's a pretty young team uh, overall. But, you know, he, he runs an indoor cricket centre academy uh, in Vintuk, so hopefully he'll still be around um, and, and they can kind of draw on his knowledge in a coaching capacity because I think he's the kind of guy that that level of experience is always going to be helpful for, for developing a team going forward. Yeah, great career from him. Excellent numbers across three different formats. It's going to be tough to find find a player like that for you know for any team, but congratulations to Craig Williams on an awesome career. And elsewhere in Africa, Nepal this week wrapped up their series against Kenya. They played a three-match 50-over series. Kenya pushed them hard in the T20 series, uh, which Nepal won 3-2. But the visitors triumphed 3-0 in the 50-over series, uh, winning all three of the matches pretty comfortably. Um, Raket Patel kept Kenya in the chase in the second game, which Nepal won by 17 runs. But Nepal chased 220, only three wickets down in the first match in the 48th over. Posted 2.30 in the second match, which, yeah, as, as I mentioned, Raket Patel hit 81 to, to keep them in chase, but Dependra Singh Iree took four wickets. And in the last match, Kenya posted a pretty solid 2.55, uh, nine wickets down. Collins Buya, the uh, the evergreen Collins Buya hit 84, but Nepal reeled in the chase, again, four wickets down uh, in the 48th over, so pretty comfortable. Um, a century to Asif Sheikh in the first match was probably the highlight. Sompal Kami took some wickets, but yeah, Nepal pretty clinical in this series. Kenya might be a little bit disappointed they couldn't push them a, a bit harder, but it, it's kind of status quo in a way because you wouldn't, you know, Nepal are pretty far ahead of Kenya in terms of their position on the, the associate cricket one-day ladder, so you wouldn't really expect them to, to slip up, but then they did slip up uh, a couple of times in the T20 series. So, you know, will will Nepal be happy with this series? Probably not because, as, as we discussed, they Probably were hoping for a bit of a rankings boost from the T20 uh, matches. But yeah, I mean, more practice matches for Nepal is is good. Um, and yeah, I know we, we, we've talked a lot about their struggles with the batting lineup, but uh, good to see Asif Sheikh at least finding some form. Yeah, and Rocket Patel, what a great series for him for Kenya. Yeah. He's really fun to watch too. Really exciting, expressive and creative batter. So, <laughs> you know, more of that, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kenya's sort of a funny one in that everyone's kind of forgotten about them. Um, 
you know, it's easy to forget, but they do have a number of uh, very good players, and Raquette Patel is one of those. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, they, they couldn't quite get a win, but uh, yeah, good for Kenya, and hopefully, you know, the fact that they were able to actually organise this series, um, and, and they got a decent turnout, at least in the T20s, uh, at the Jim Carner ground, you know, indicates that there there is still at least some degree of interest in cricket um, in, in Kenya, and, and hopefully it's something that um, at some point, if they ever, you know, get their administration sorted, they can kind of try and rebuild, but that's something people have been hoping for for well over a decade and and there doesn't seem to be much progress so I wouldn't be getting too excited about that um and, and still on Nepal, on a well, on, on a very bad note, Sandeep Lamachane, their captain, has been accused of committing rape against a 17-year-old girl. The information at the moment is that a complaint has been lodged against Lamachane with the Kathmandu police, um, and the police are currently investigating. Uh, so, you know, this isn't a legal podcast. The news is available from various sources in a lot more detail about the complaint and, and what's alleged to have happened. Um, but this is basically just something, um, you know, to keep an eye on. Um, I don't think it's appropriate, at least for me, to be, uh, you know, preempting what might or might not happen. Um, but it's very unfortunate, um, not least, of course, for for the um, for the alleged victim. But you know, just thinking a little bit more broadly, this is this has the potential to be you know, quite damaging to Nepali cricket, if nothing else. You know, the fact that Lamachane is such a big star, you know, something like this could be uh yeah quite quite damaging to to the cricket scene there and and by association cricket um in in the emerging cricket world more generally because so much of i guess the ICC's plans have often revolved quite heavily around Nepal in a lot of ways um so just something to keep an eye on and and we hope that that the Nepali police will be able to investigate thoroughly um and 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 uh in a timely manner yeah, he's currently in the CPL right now with, uh, I believe, the Jamaica Talawas. Uh, he hasn't played any any matches yet, but yeah, there's a probe ongoing, an investigation ongoing. Obviously, if he's charged and found guilty, it's bad news. There are mandatory sentences for this to- sort of thing in Nepal. Upon some research, I found that because of her age being 17, uh, the mandatory punishment would be 10 to 12 years. However, obviously, he would need to be charged first and then found guilty. But um, yeah, the it's a very unfortunate thing. If true, it's pretty terrible. So let's see what happens there. Well, that brings to an end another episode of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Hopefully next week we can hear from Tim and Bez again. But until then, remember to follow Emerging Cricket on your favorite social media platforms and log on to emergingcricket.com for all the latest news and analysis from the Emerging Game. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Nick Skinner, and Nate Hayes, as we wish you a good day wherever you are around the cricketing world.